This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. What a wonderful time of connection with God, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting as I was praying through this week about this particular time. One of the things that, uh, that God really impressed on my heart is just a reminder that church is a place where we encounter God. Church isn't something we do for God to make Him happy. It's not really doing it for God. Church isn't something we do for God in order to keep Him from being angry at us. Although, if you grew up in a hellfire and brimstone church, you're probably pretty sure that if you don't go to church, you know, the sky is going to fall and God's wrath will come down on you somewhere in this week. Church isn't even something that we do for God in order to obtain His blessing. There are churches that you can go to that will teach you, if you come to this church, and particularly if you give money, then you obligate God to bless you. Can I tell you that God is above being manipulated by anybody? So what then is the purpose of church? The purpose of church is that God is our Heavenly Father and we are His kids. And He has such a deep desire to just be with us. So He says, I want my family to get together often. At least once a week. And and when they do, God said, I want to make you this promise. So I want to read to you out of the Bible a promise. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20. Here's what it says. If two or three people come together in my name, read the last part out loud with me. Ready? I am there with them. Wow. So that means as we've gathered together in the name of Jesus today, that God's here. So whether this is your first time or your 150th time, it really doesn't make any difference. I want to encourage you to do exactly what Heather just encouraged you to do. Set aside the distractions of the day. And just say, God, would you speak into my life? want to lead us in a prayer before we go further. Lord Jesus, we are here to meet with you. We are here to ask you to speak into our lives. We understand and know and believe that because we have gathered in your name, that you have come. Would you help us now to hear your voice above any other voice that might want to speak into our lives today? As we open your word, Would you speak into our lives by your word? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are our guests, you haven't been here before, welcome. You're our guests, at least for the morning. So uh, we hope that this is a wonderful morning of connection between you and God and of hopefully connecting with some people around you. You might not know anyone here, chances are you probably do, but even if you don't, Uh, We hope that this is a great morning for you. 
On the inside of the program that you got on the way in, you'll find a sheet of fill-in-the-blank style notes. I want to encourage you to pull that out. All of us who regularly attend, pull it out. We fill it out, and it's a wonderful learning tool. And for the next several minutes, I'm going to speak to you out of a story out of Jesus' life that hopefully has some wonderful applications in your life and in mine. Um, One of the things that I do in our city, along with several other pastors, is I do chaplain work with the local police and fire departments. That's very interesting work. It's it's got its very tough aspects, uh, to say the least, because usually we get called into situations that the local police and fire uh, personnel uh, don't particularly like, making death notifications, trying to work with people who are threatening suicide, uh, getting called into situations where somebody's house has burned to the ground and the family is frantic and trying to calm nerves and keep people cool and, and um, collected and all those sorts of things. Well, one of the things that we also do is we do ride-alongs, which are fun, uh, very interesting and enlightening, to, to say the least. When you do a ride-along on Friday evenings, especially uh, from about uh, 11 or 12 o'clock at night till about 3 in the morning, um, yeah, one of the things that you get to do often is you get to deal with people who have tipped a few too many and therefore are, are struggling with sobriety. And to be sure, that's, that's a sad situation almost always. But one of the things that we administer is what's called in the field S, uh, FSTs, field sobriety tests. And so we have people walk the line that's painted along the road or count backwards from 20. And, and there's a number of FSTs that, that we administer and to be able to determine how sober or not so sober someone is. Um, and based on that, we take whatever action needs to be taken. Well, it dawned on me as I was praying about this particular sermon that God doesn't necessarily administer to us field sobriety tests, but he does minister to us things that are called field reality tests. In fact, this whole sermon series is called Reality Check. So how is God ever going to know if we've got our life tuned in to the realities of life or whether we're just living out there in some make-believe virtual world based on truths that actually are not true and therefore don't work in life? And so what God oftentimes allows is circumstances and situations to come into our life where we are given the opportunity to apply what he's teaching us and we either pass or fail that test. And of course, if we pass the test, God cheers and he's ready to move us on to bigger and better things. And if we fail the test, then guess what? We get to take that lesson all over again. Now, one of the things, one of the greatest choices you can ever make as a follower of Jesus is this. I will waste no lessons, right? Because repeated lessons are not very much fun. And so today, we're going to take a look at two very short incidents in the life of Jesus and his 12 closest followers 
called the Twelve Disciples or Twelve Apostles. And, and we're going to look at two tiny little stories that oftentimes we just kind of slide right by because both stories just occupy only a verse or two. And yet, what's contained in those stories should be and can be life-changing for you and me. So let's go to our core Bible teaching and take a look. Now John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. I want you to underline the words, he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is actually for you. Now, here's the first field reality test. Jesus has just taught them, and if you were here last week, you know the key to my life is my what? Oh, that was overwhelming. The key to my life is what? My power meter. Am I reading people's power? Are they more powerful than me? Less powerful than me? All that stuff. And we talked about humility. So right up front, these guys, one verse later, have the opportunity to figure out if their power meter is on or off. If they're going to live with humility or they're not going to live with humility. So field reality test number one is competition. Because nothing will test your humility like a sense of competition. Nothing will spring your power meter into action like perceived competition or rivalry. And so here these guys are. I want you to, I want you to write these two words down in your notes. Competitors versus partners. It takes... Only one verse for these guys to encounter the test and only one more verse for them to fail the test. You know, they, they go out and they encounter some guy using Jesus' name to cast out demons and right away they run their power meter over him and go, competition, somebody else out there doing what we are supposed to be doing. And you know what's worse? We're with Jesus all the time, and we've never seen that guy with Jesus. That is not good. Wow. Never mind that he's encountering people who are demon-possessed and tortured by demons, and he's releasing them from those demons in the name of Jesus. Never mind that Jesus' influence is now spread over more people than it was before because of what this man was doing. This guy is jeopardizing our place of power in Jesus' kingdom, and that cannot happen. So what was their advice to him? Stop. Wow. One verse, one test, one failure. You know, how's Jesus going to respond to that? What's he going to say? Now, if most of you have had kids. And when you teach a child something and you take the time to hammer that truth home and you have them look you in the eye and you say, do you understand what I'm saying to you? And they go like this. 
and they turn right around and do the opposite of what you just taught them, how do you normally feel? Yeah, irritated to say the least. Come over here, I need to give you a tune-up, right? Yeah. Jesus has just spent precious time. He brought a child, put the child in the middle of them and said, I want you to look at this kid. This is a kid whose power meter isn't running. He's not always sitting there sizing up people and wondering, are they more powerful than me? What do they think about me? Do they think I'm more powerful than them? They're not always comparing themselves. It's just a little kid who goes through life and plays and just enjoys the fact that he's alive and figures his parents are going to take care of him. And Jesus said, now you got to be like that. If you want to really catch on to what life is about. And these guys walk right out of Jesus' presence. And they have the opportunity to be a kid. And they choose rather to be a competitive adult. You know what I wrote down in my notes? Was Jesus going to go Donald Trump on them? What's his two favorite words? Your... Oh, you guys have seen that, huh? I've often wondered if these were my 12 closest followers, how many times I would have gone Donald Trump on them. Now, you guys are fired. I can't believe we're back at this place again, doing the same thing, having the same conversation again. And yet, here's the two words I want you to write, okay? And they are this, patient versus impatient. You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus said, here's an opportunity for my 12 closest followers to learn an additional lesson. I know they failed the last one, but I want them to learn this lesson. And this lesson simply stated would be this. Don't view people from the standpoint or the perspective or the platform of suspicion. Now that's going to be a very, very important concept this morning. I want to talk to you about it and when we get to the end of the sermon I want to talk to you about it again. We all have what I call a default setting. It's kind of who and what we are without any effort. When we drop our guard completely, when we pay no attention to responses, when we're not choosing our responses, we're just letting our responses naturally flow out of our lives, okay? There's a very significant group of people, even sitting right here in this audience at church, that your default position is suspicion. And you kind of come at life from the standpoint of, I will not trust or respect anyone until they earn it from me. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I don't necessarily want you to go through life naive, but if your default setting is one where you're always looking at people through suspicion and, and, and your one goal in life is when I die, I want to be able to say, no one ever fooled me. Okay? Well, you might die having never been fooled by anybody. But be prepared to die alone. Why? Because that's never how Jesus lived. 
Did Jesus ever take the people who came to him and keep them like this until they earned his trust? If he did that, no one would be near him, right? Certainly not the twelve. You see, the goal in life is not to go through life never having been fooled by anybody. The goal in life is to go through life and forge wonderful and beautiful partnerships with people who will let you down from time to time. But not to be destroyed by that. See, there's only two reasons why you would tend to view all people with suspicion, okay? And one is the first mindset, and that is, I'll never be fooled in life. I will make everyone earn my respect, and I'll start from a premise that everybody's a bad guy until they prove differently, okay? And the second one is that, and and by the way, we don't oftentimes get to choose some of our default settings in life. If that's your default setting, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that's a bad default setting. Understand the difference? You see, you and I are born with inherent weaknesses in our lives, and we don't get to choose them. I have shared many times from this stage that I was born lazy and dishonest. Well, believe it or not, in heaven, before I was born, God didn't hand me a slate of weaknesses, and I chose those two. That's not how that worked. Okay? I was just born that way. Those were my default settings. And so those are constant challenges in my life that I have to build safeguards in every day into my life. Because if I don't, with, if I just don't try in life, that's right where my life goes. Well, one of the other things that people are sometimes born with is the cup half empty setting. Okay? Many of you are familiar with that. You see that in the mirror every day, right? You didn't necessarily get to choose that, but that's just kind of your default setting in life, that that the cup is always half empty and the sky is always falling unless someone can prove to you today it's not going to fall today. And your response to that is, oh good, but it could be tomorrow. Yeah, so let's not get too happy today. Now, if that tends to be your default setting, then you're going to tend to look at everybody with suspicion. I want to share with you that Jesus wants to deliver you from that mindset. Because while that mindset might feel very safe for you, because it feels very safe to know that you're never going to get fooled and that no one's ever going to pull the wool over your eyes. It feels very safe. I can tell you it's not very warm. It's a very cold and oftentimes lonely place to be. Jesus would call you to yet a safe place, but a warm place. So that's... that's Step number one. Now, the, the learning lesson is not to view everyone with suspicion. And, and I want to tell you a little bit how that works here at New Life. There was a phrase that I had you underline. Remember what it was? Go back to the, to the key scripture, our, our core scripture. What was the phrase? Yeah, he wasn't part of our group. 
You know, that's an interesting phrase. And believe it or not, oftentimes at church, we, we act, unfortunately, more like the 12 disciples than like Jesus. Many, many churches have nothing to do with any other church. Why? Because they aren't part of what? Our group. That's right. I, I oftentimes say it like this. They subscribe to the philosophy that any tick that doesn't tick like I tick is a heretic. Yeah. And so that's, that's the philosophy that... By golly, the only people going to heaven are sitting in this room or maybe here next service. And I feel so sorry for all those other people who are on the wrong side of doctrine. And on that day when our Lord comes again, He is going to pass out 175 question, question questionnaire on doctrine, and if you don't score X number of percent on that questionnaire, I'm sorry, you're going to the other place. Think about that for a minute. How sad is that? New Life works with about a dozen other churches, and one of the great things about being part of God's kingdom here in Petaluma is there's a wonderful group of churches that voluntarily work together. Now, there's a wide variety in those churches. Even as I'm talking to you this morning, some of the other pastors in in those churches are standing in front of their people with a full-on robe all the way to the floor and, and a collar that you would know from a long ways away, oh my goodness, that guy's a pastor or a priest or something of that order. And then there are churches in city ministries that this morning would be characterized by the word charismatic. And the people are speaking in tongues. And, and they're speaking words of prophecy into people's lives. And, and, and they're trusting God for miracles this morning right in their church service and, and those sorts of things. And there are churches from city ministries who emphasize the sovereignty of God to the point that they believe that, that, that people don't have a choice in receiving God or not. But it's all done by God's sovereignty and predestination. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and there are other churches who see in Scripture that God has given us the wonderful opportunity to choose Him or reject Him, but we are held accountable by how we make that choice. See, there, if we wanted to be competitors, there are many reasons to be competitors, but we've all looked into Scripture and we've realized that there is a dividing line in this world and it's not predestination or free will. It's not whether a church is charismatic or not charismatic. It's not whether a church is liturgical or non-liturgical. The dividing line in this world is Jesus. Does that make sense to you? 
And when you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I will follow Him with all of my life, it may look a little different from church to church, but the bottom line is, we got the right foundation, and, we, and we're following the right leader, and as long as we've got the right foundation, we're following the right leader, then guess what? It doesn't make any difference if He's not one of us. You know, if that church isn't one of our group, it really doesn't make any difference because our group isn't new life. Our group is Jesus. Are you on board with that? Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. So I want to talk to you about a wonderful way in which we get to live that out. On August the 2nd, the churches of City Ministries, about a dozen of the churches, have decided, and I know we've talked to you a little bit about that before, I'm giving you the reason why. On August the 2nd, those dozen churches have decided we're closing our individual church doors on that Sunday, and we're all going to get together at the fairgrounds, and we are going to have a wonderful time worshiping God together. Are you excited about that? I'm very excited about that. That's going to be a wonderful time. You know, I want you to know this. And I want you to get it clearly, that date is already on heaven's calendar. Okay? So I figure if it's on heaven's calendar, I want to show up. How about you? So I am going to show up. And we're going to have a great time together worshiping God with people that most people would think, oh my goodness, they're not one of our group in that they're not here on Sunday morning with us. And I tell you that they are our brothers and sisters in Jesus. And on that Sunday morning, we're going to have a little foretaste of heaven. So I want you to put that on your calendar, August the 2nd, at the fairgrounds at what time? You got it. All right. We're going to have a great time together. So that is reality, field reality test number one. Let's go to field reality test number two and read the next few verses in Scripture. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village. I want you to underline the word Samaritan. That's a very important part of that verse. To prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? I would say that's Donald Trump right there, right? They said, fire him, right? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them, so they went on to another village. So what great field reality test is there? Well, this is the test of opposition. The first was the test of competition, where people that we think might be competitors with us and therefore could be intimidating... This is the test of opposition. How do we respond when people actually come in opposition to us? Well, the words come up again. Patient versus impatient. Or patience versus impatience. You know, Jesus has just been very patient with the twelve as they struggled with and actually failed the previous lesson He had taught them. And so now He dispatches a couple of them to go to this village. And when the village rejects Jesus, these guys have the opportunity to either be patient with people who are struggling or to be impatient. 
And once again, it takes only one verse for them to come down on the wrong side of that test. They decide to be very impatient. Now, why would they be impatient? Well, remember the phrase I had you underline in the first core Bible teaching? It was, not part of our group. The disciples were all Jews. And they viewed the Samaritans as what? Not part of our group. Because the Jews had always taken pride in the purity of their bloodline. I am a full-blooded Jew. I was actually with one just yesterday. Sitting across the table from her having a wonderful conversation. But in that conversation, she let me know that she was a full-blooded Jew. Which I thought was great. We had a great conversation. So what about the Samaritans? Well, I won't go into the whole history of how the Samaritan nation came into being, but let's just say this. The Samaritans were part Gentile and part Jew, and maybe no more than 50-50. But here's something that Jesus had made clear from the very beginning of his ministry, and that is that from his standpoint, the Samaritans were in. He would preach to them, he would teach them, he would love them, he would do miracles in their lives, he would spend time with them, much to the chagrin of his 12 full-blooded Jewish followers. They kept wanting Jesus to deal the Samaritans out, and Jesus kept dealing them in. Did the Samaritans even get it? Well, obviously not from this verse. When they found out Jesus was going where? To Jerusalem. What did they say? He's not part of our group then. Do you realize how much this pervades the human spirit and the human experience? This whole thing of groups. Are you part of my group? You not part of my group? Are you part of the church? You not part of the church? Can I tell you one of the things that I love about new life is that we don't tend to size up people by that standard when they walk in the door. If this is your first time here, when I encounter you, whether it's here in in the auditorium or out in the lobby, believe it or not, I'm not trying to figure out whether you're part of us or not part of us. Because you know why? You're here this morning. You're part of us. Even if it's only for a morning. You're part of us. You are a fellow human being in the wonderful experience of life. And I do know this about you. You're struggling with things in your life just like I'm struggling with things in my life. But the fact that you are at a church on Sunday morning means you have some interest in the truth. I know you do. Or you wouldn't be here. And I want to celebrate that. And I want to work together with you. Because if we work together we will find the truth. That's a, that's a very interesting concept. Now, the disciples didn't get that. So they went around and continually evaluated people about whether they were part of their group or not. And if they weren't part of their group, again, they wanted to go Donald Trump on them and fire them. 
Because here's the reality. You know, you and I could study this little passage and think, thank God I've never wanted to call down fire on anybody. I'm free and clear here. Well, if you've been coming to this church very long, you know that there's no place in the Bible you're actually free and clear, right? There's always something in there for us. You you know what our tendency is? Our tendency is to think that the problems that the apostles had here were about anger and violence. Because obviously, if you want to call down fire from heaven and burn somebody up, would you say that might be an anger problem and a violence problem? Yeah. But their problems were not anger and violence, although they were willing to go there if they felt it necessary. You know what the real problem was? And this is the one that you and I struggle with. Because I'm guessing not too many of you have actually prayed that fire would fall down from heaven and consume somebody, even if they were your ex-husband or ex-wife. You probably haven't even prayed that about them. But here's what they struggled with. It's a critical spirit. I want you to write down this little thing. And that is critical versus gracious. I have to be honest with you about many Christian people. Many Christian people that I encounter actually have a critical spirit, but they, they feel justified in having that critical spirit because they put it under the banner of truth. I'm just speaking the truth about people. I want to talk to all of us very clearly about this. Because Jesus gives us a wonderful choice, and it's not truth or no truth. It's critical spirit versus a gracious spirit. And when we choose to have a gracious spirit, then it, it, it enables us to look at people in a far different light than when we look at them with a critical spirit. In both cases. Here's a guy out casting demons out of people in the name of Jesus, but because he's not part of the group that the apostles are part of, do they look at him with graciousness or with a critical spirit? What's the answer? Critical spirit. And then Jesus dispatches them to go to a town and prepare for His coming. And because they're Samaritans and because they're fighting bigotry among themselves and they've got hatred toward the Jews and they find out that Jesus is a Jew and He's going to Jerusalem, they say, He's not coming here. There's no way Jesus is coming here. Do they look at them with graciousness or critical spirit? Critical spirit. We'll teach them a lesson. They will never reject Jesus again. They'll be nothing but toasty critters. We get that one. Just a terrible, critical spirit. Now, here's the point I really want you to get. In both cases, did the twelve feel justified in holding their opinion? What do you think? Yes. Did they feel like they had good reason to choose the options that they were choosing? Obviously, that guy hasn't been with us. He hasn't been with Jesus. He hasn't been trained by Jesus. He's not one of the twelve. Therefore, he can't be doing anything good. Therefore, we have the right response, and that is, you cut that out. And 
Anyone who is going to reject Jesus, the one who left heaven and came to earth, the one who's going to lay down his life as a sacrifice, the one who's teaching us the truth, anyone who's going to reject Jesus deserves to be punished. Therefore, we're justified in what we're doing. But don't miss this. In both cases, they would do the opposite of what Jesus did. That's the most dangerous thing about a critical spirit. It leads us to conclusions and actions that feel justified, but they're the opposite of what Jesus would do. Hmm. When I look in the mirror, I wonder how many times that guy feels justified in his heart for taking whatever actions I'd take. But if I were actually able to interview Jesus, he would say, Ron, that's a critical spirit, and it's leading you to a place I wouldn't go. And it's leading you to do things to people, to say things about people, to behave in a way toward people that, trust me, Ron, if I was walking the earth and I was in in your body, I wouldn't be doing it. David, King David, one of the most famous kings of the Jewish nation. He allowed sin to creep into his life. You know, the interesting thing about David is some people shake their fist in defiance at God and they wander from God on purpose. David never did that. I I remember my father told me one time, he said, Ron, you know, some people lose their faith with a blowout and others just by a slow leak. Okay? David was one of those slow leak guys. And because he had wandered away from God, one day when he walked out on the, the, the roof of his palace, he saw a woman who was bathing, and, and uh, long story made short, he decided that he had to sleep with her, and it got really, really, really ugly. So how did God respond to David? Did God go Donald Trump on David? You're fired. No. God sent a preacher, a prophet. His name was Nathan. And he came to David with a a very heart-touching story that had a conclusion that David couldn't miss. And basically, what what that preacher was delivering was a four-step continuum that I want you to write down under closing scripture. Are you ready? And the first thing that he came with was a message of truth. And friends, can I tell you, until you and I are willing to face the truth in our lives, nothing else good is going to take place, even if the truth is not easy to receive. So he came with a message of truth. And then then there was the anticipation that David would repent. So there was a wonderful invitation to repent. And once David decided to repent, then there was God's wonderful promise of forgiveness. And once David had received God's wonderful forgiveness, he was able once again to live in freedom. You know, that that continuum never changes. 
It is the message that God would give to you and me today. He would stand here and say to you and me, this is the truth about your human spirit. And that is, it's really easy to get in competition with people instead of building partnerships with them. And God would say, I call you to come to a point of building partnerships with people and forget competing with them. And then it's very easy for us to get impatient with one another instead of patient. And it's very easy for us to get a critical spirit instead of this gracious spirit that honestly loves people and doesn't continually look at people that, that don't do, you know, that don't do life the way that we want them to do it or, or, or they, don't, they don't do at work what we want them to do or we think, by golly, if I were the foreman, this is how I would do it. So they criticize the foreman because he doesn't do things or she doesn't do things exactly like they would do them. And God says, here's the truth about that that will rob you of joy in life and it will blow up the partnerships in your life that you want to have. So set aside that critical spirit. There's the truth. And then God says, I'm giving you the wonderful invitation to repent. And to say, God, I need your spirit in my life, not my spirit. And then as we repent, God says, I will give you a wonderful forgiveness that enables you to be clean, to be forgiven, to set down that burden of guilt that you carry. And then I offer you the freedom of walking in my spirit. Well, as David listened to that message, he got it. And I want to read to you the verses that David wrote as he reflected on that in his own life. And I want to read them to you out of the old King James because David uses some very specific words that actually only the old King James uses. David said, God, create in me a clean heart. What's implied there? David's heart wasn't what? It wasn't pure. It wasn't clean. Oh, God, and renew a what? Right spirit. I want you to underline the words right spirit. That's the opposite of the critical spirit. That's the opposite of the competitive spirit. That's the opposite of the impatient spirit. Renew a right spirit within me. Now, don't cast me away from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But what? Restore unto me the... What did he lost? He lost the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy what? Free. There's the freedom. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, what a challenge. Two tiny little stories about the twelve... Uh, saying to a guy, oh, you're not part of us, you need to stop that, and, and really looking at him as, as if that somehow if he wasn't part of them, that he wasn't okay. And then they go right from there to a Samaritan village that is struggling with how to, with how to receive you and actually making that choice wrong. And they jump right into the critical spirit again, only this time it's with more anger, more vengeance, and more violence. Lord, would you lead us to a place of great love for others and great grace toward them and latitude toward them so that we might respond to them as Jesus would. For we ask it in his name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.